Uh, my name is Sarah Yardley. I'm originally from Orange County, California. Moved here four years ago. And I have the great joy of speaking to you today about Jesus, our rest. Now, my hosts were really kind, and they didn't make fun of me as much as they could have. Um, because if you know me at all, you know that rest is a bit of a difficult concept for me. Um, and I'm really passionate that the preacher should always practice what she preaches. So Matt Timms, who's preaching the next session um, and is right there, has told me he's going to publicly heckle me through the message. So if the rest of you could just help support me with that heckling, that would be really helpful. Um, because I'm preaching to myself right now, which I also believe that a preacher must do. In September of last year, I was really convicted about this idea and that God's calling me to rest. And so I actually spoke about it and I put in line some pathways to help guard my rest better. And then I had the most hectic and busy year of our lives. My pastor, Brian Broderson, who's our festival director, said, hey, we're we're teaching the book of Hebrews, and Sarah, I'd like you to do Hebrews chapter 4, and and the title that I'm going to assign you is Jesus, Our Rest, and I said, oh, I think you've got that wrong. (laughs) I'll take Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I worked for 12 years in Christian publishing. I'll even take Jesus greater than angels, although I'm not sure that the theological complexities of that could have been done any better than by David Robertson. Uh, But Jesus, our rest feels a little bit like it could be a ironic title for me. And my pastor said to me, instead of being ironic, perhaps it will be prophetic. And so I am praying that for myself and for each of us this morning. I just want to acknowledge my dear friend, Lynn Pugh, who is painting a picture inspired by rest. And she and I both feel that this is a future prophetic word for us jointly. I'd also like to say thank you to Debbie Harvey and the BSL team who are kindly creating an accessible message for all who are with us. We'd like to say thank you to the deaf community for being with us. We love you. I'm going to teach you something that the Anglicans will know. If you're not Anglican, you might still have picked it up. It's a really, really simple thing. Ready? I'm going to do a scripture reading right now, and I will, at the end of the scripture reading, say the words, this is the word of the Lord, and then you'll respond back by saying, thanks be to God. Okay, that was a really good practice run. I didn't make it super clear. So I'm going to read a passage of scripture. At the end of it, I will say, this is the word of the Lord, and you will resound back with the words, thanks be to God. And the idea of this is every time scripture is read, we thank God for it. So if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn to the book of Hebrews. I'm going to read both more than I am preaching this morning. But the idea is to give us a little bit of context. And before I read, I am going to again pray that God's word will be alive to us who are listening. Jesus, we love you. We are here today because you have made us come alive. I want to pray that your word would fall on soil that is prepared to receive it. Pray that wherever we sit in the topic of rest this morning, that we would hear what your spirit has to say to the church. Pray that this morning you would break hard hearts and heal broken hearts. We ask these things in the name that is precious to us above all others, Jesus Christ. 
Amen. Hebrews chapter 3, starting at verse 7, from the English Standard Version. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit has said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. For your fathers have put me to the test. They saw my works for 40 years, and I was provoked with that generation. I said, they always go astray in their heart. They did not know my ways, and so I swore in my wrath they would not enter rest. Take care then, my brothers and sisters, lest in any of you there ever be an evil or unbelieving heart that would lead you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another day by day, as long as it is today, that none of you would ever allow your hearts to be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion. For who are those who heard and then still rebelled? Was it not all of those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies were left in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? And so we see they were unable to enter because of unbelief. And therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest we ever fail to reach it. For the good news has come to us as it came to them, and the message they heard didn't benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter into rest. As he said, I swore in my wrath they will not enter rest, even though his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. But since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who received the good news failed to enter it because they were disobedient. Again, he appoints a certain day, and that day is today. Saying through David, long afterwards, and the words we've already heard today, When you hear his voice, do not harden your heart, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. And so then, and I'd like to hear an amen after this, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered into God's rest has rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter rest, that we may not have the same sort of disobedience For God's word is living, it is active, it is sharper than any two-edged sword, it pierces between the division of our soul and our spirit, our joints and our marrow, it discerns even the thoughts and intentions of our heart, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of whom we must give account. This is the word of the Lord. Killed it. Don't worry, you didn't all become Anglicans, but if you'd like to, there are great churches around the country. (laughs) Reading the book of Hebrews is like reading the mind of a theological masterman, (laughs) or potentially masterwoman. We don't know who wrote the book. In this little passage that we read just now, 
It jumps from Exodus 17 to Numbers 20 to Psalm 95 to Genesis 2 to the book of Joshua and back again to Hebrews. Now, there will be some in this audience who will be familiar with all of those stories, but most of us probably didn't read Exodus 17 in our devotionals this morning. Potentially, Numbers 20 and the rebellion of Israel hasn't been part of your common reading. It's possible that you've never read the book of Joshua. And so we read this passage of scripture that speaks about rest, but it feels like it's an inside story. Like he's telling a story that whoever he wrote it to would have understood, but that feels a tiny bit foreign to us. The psalm that's quoted in this passage is Psalm 95. And Psalm 95 is this beautiful passage of scripture. Like most of the psalms, it was written to be sung. And the church I grew up in did sing this psalm. Perhaps you know a song that I won't sing because it'll be off key and not a gift to any of you. But it says these words, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker. He is our God. We're the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. And the Israelite reading these words in Hebrews would have heard what comes next within the context of a God who is a loving shepherd and father. And they would have then heard these words today. When you hear my voice, do not allow your hearts to be hardened. These weren't the harsh words of a God of judgment. They are the loving words of a shepherd king who says, surely you should have learned from the stories of those who've gone before. And then it it says, don't harden your hearts as in the days of Meripah, at the days of Massa in the wilderness. And again, these aren't stories we know, so I'll tell them quickly and they're worth reading for yourself. In Exodus chapter 17, the people of Israel had been delivered from slavery in Egypt, but they were wandering in the wilderness. They had the plan and promise of God but they were still in a place of drought and they began to moan to God, we're here in the wilderness places. We used to have every pleasure of the world and now we don't even have a drop of water to drink. This last week, has anyone felt the need for water in a way that you never have before in Cornwall? I've got these great new eco-friendly mugs and they're like gold because getting water has been a test this past week. And the leaders of Israel in Exodus chapter 17 went to God and said, what should we do with this people? And the Lord said to them, take your staff and strike the rock and water will come out and your people will receive water. And so Moses took his staff and he struck the rock and water came forth. And fast forward a whole generation worth. Fast forward to the next generation who've heard the stories of God's faithfulness. How many here have heard the stories of God's faithfulness to the generation that came before us? And in Numbers chapter 20, the people of Israel find themselves in the same position, in the same wilderness, and they say to the Lord, we're without water. And we're still in the wilderness. And we heard how you were faithful to our fathers. But are you going to be faithful to us? Being non-dramatic, which every Orange County girl can appreciate. They said, did you just bring us here to die? No drama at all in that statement, right? 
They didn't escalate things whatsoever. And in Numbers chapter 20, the leaders of Israel are told, fall on your faces before the Lord. And the glory of the Lord appears to them. And the Lord says to the leaders, all that you need to do is speak to the rock and water will come forth. In the place of testing and suffering, in the place where the rock had to be struck for your fathers, all that you need to do now is ask for my grace and kindness, and I'll give it to you. If you know the story, you know the bittersweet arm here, because the leaders of Israel heard the word of the Lord, and instead of speaking to the rock, they struck the rock and said, you are a rebellious people. And God in his kindness still allowed water to come forth. But the leaders who disobeyed the word of the Lord and brought judgment instead of kindness lost the favor of the place of rest in the presence of God. So 4,000 years after that story, and 2,000 years after the book of Hebrews was written, what do these things have to say to us today? I think it's really easy to read scripture and to discuss the theological implications and literalist viewpoints. I sat and read this scripture in a coffee shop and I read these words, God, did you bring us here to die? And I just began to weep because that has been the last six months of my life. You see, in January We had a team of three of us serving full-time for Creation Fest, organizing everything from what color the carpets would be, to whether or not the big top stage would be blue or red this year, to whether Wildwood Kin would play on the main stages tonight, or potentially Governor B. Could Governor B do tomorrow night? Who would host it? Whether or not we were going to redo that Big Shed Cafe picture that still has our last year's branding on it? And we got the call that first one and then the other of my coworkers' visas were denied. And then we put in an appeal, and we found out that both of those appeals were denied. And myself and a 23-year-old intern named Matt, who is my hero, sat alone in the offices during the wettest winter I've lived through in Cornwall, and tried to survive camping booking systems, 27% increases, 400 volunteers, 82 team leaders, 1,000 details. And if I'm honest, I asked God this question, did you bring me here to let me sink under the weight of what I can't carry? We've seen some extraordinary miracles. My two colleagues were able to visit. One of them is still here. One's been back to South Africa. There are 12 interns who came and grabbed on skills and brought the gifts and joys of Christ. God provided us not one, but two ministry houses. One of them's actually the place I'll live in for the next year or so of my life. On top of all of that, I got a kitten. (laughs) Thank you. That's what it felt like for me, too. Like, I didn't need a kitten, but Jesus is kind, so he gave me one. Her name is Kira. It means deer in Cornish. And yet still, a week before the festival, with all of the beauty and all of the challenges, I had to sit and still ask Jesus, I can't see what the future looks like when my interns go back. 
I don't see the water coming out of the rock. I know I saw it last week, and I know I'll see it again next week, but I don't see it today. And so, Jesus, did you bring me here, and will this crush me? And so I simply say from the depths of my heart, if there is any place where you know you must choose rest in the testing places, I hear you. And the only simple truth I know to say is this. It is a daily choice to be obedient to the fact that God is present with us in the testing places of our lives. You see, we can decide that today that we'll believe that. But tomorrow when the next battle comes and the day after that when the waves feel like they'll sink us, there is every day the choice of saying, Jesus, I trust you to give me rest even in the middle of my tests. And I have a list that has been shaping me. It's going to come up on the screens and I'm going to read it from my Bible. It's from a gentleman named John Tyson. He's the pastor of a church of the city. And this list is one that I ask myself as often as I can. My friend Megaloni and I go through it together. It, it asks these questions. One, how can I slow down? How can I ruthlessly eliminate hurry? Two, how can I simplify things? Whenever I'm overloaded, I have a friend who will just say to me, say no to three things. Say no to three text messages, three phone calls, three loads of laundry, not all the loads of laundry. (laughs) Say no to three things. Three, how can I bring silence into my life? Ladies and gentlemen, we do not live in a culture that values silence, but there are countless times in scripture where we're told that God speaks to us in the silence. How can I savor this moment? Not rush into the next, not look back at what has come. How can I speak up or tell the truth? How can I settle in or establish roots and rituals? This one is one I'm working on often. How can I shed my armors and my masks? How can I soften my approach to life? How can I serve my community? The reason we ask questions like this is because it says here in Hebrews 4, therefore, while the promise of entering God's rest still stands, let us fear if we fail to reach it. For the good news has come to us just like it came to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith to listen. Most of us here have heard the good news, and the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ came that we might have life and have it to the full. We believe in our hearts that God has come that we might have rest, that he's done all the work there is to do, and yet the tyranny of the urgent of our cell phones and our schedules often means that I do not live in the rest that has already been promised to me. That leads me to my second point, which is quite simply this. We are called to rest as an act of obedience. We're not called to rest because it's a nice idea. We're not called to rest because sleep and dreams will benefit us, although scientifically that is true. We're not called to rest because we pat each other on the back and say, you're doing a good job, go rest some more. We are called to rest out of obedience to scripture. I'm in a theological college called St. Melitus. Uh, they're here. They're wonderful. 
Um, I went to theological college. Thank you, Gudrun. Um, I went to theological college not realizing how bizarre what I'm about to say is true, is perceived. Um, I went to theological college thinking everybody thought that the earth was created in six days. And then I got to the college and found out that's actually a fairly unusual viewpoint. Now, my college was really kind to me, um, and I've got lots of friends who hold lots of different views about creation. In Jesus' name, amen, right? Can we amen that? Thanks. Just helps me be sure that everyone's alive and with us. So when I read this passage of scripture, and I hear that God created the world in seven days. He has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. God rested on the seventh day from this wor- his, his works. I read that passage of scripture and I'm like, amazing. God created the world for six days and then on the seventh day he rested. That's just actually the simplest thing for me to believe. Sometimes if the Bible says it, I'm like, holla, Jesus. You said it and you did it and it's true. My point here is this. Whether you believe that the earth was created in six days or whether six days are a picture of the eons of time that our boundlessly creative creator used to bring forth life and breath and sound and colors and butterflies, we believe that this is a picture for us, right? That God, the limitlessly powerful, unendingly creative, exceedingly kind creator of the universe gave us six days as a picture of his creation. And then on the seventh day, he, on the seventh day, he, I am guilty as charged, but how many of us take a whole day a week to rest completely? Now I hear you. There's kids, there's jobs, there's laundry, there's a shopping run. But if we live in the UK, even the grocery stores help us out with this, right? Five o'clock on a Sunday, there's nowhere to go. If you live in Wadebridge, there's a spa. On the seventh day, God rested. And it says here, since therefore it remains that some of us enter, verse six, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, he has appointed a certain day, which is today. The picture that God gives us in this passage of scripture is very simply this. Rest is a command that we are called to be obedient to. And that's a picture that starts in Genesis and it carries through all of scripture. Because it says in Exodus chapter 33, on a passage that's going to come up on our screens, these very simple and beautiful words, and he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Can we just in this place for a moment acknowledge God's presence is with us? And his presence is the source of our deepest and truest rest. Imagine if every time someone asked you, are you busy today? Our answer was, I am. And his presence goes with me to give me rest. My mom brought me this book called How They Prayed, which is the story of missionaries who prayed. I'm going to read you a beautiful poem from a Japanese missionary called Toki Miyashiro. If I've pronounced his name wrong, I apologize. If anyone's listening on the live stream from Japan, I hope that you know his story. 
I've never heard of him before. He says these beautiful words about rest and obedience in the midst of our flurried lives. The Lord is my pace setter. I shall not rush. He makes me stop and rest for specific intervals. He provides me with images of stillness, as Lynn is painting one for us now, that restore my serenity. He leads me in the ways of efficiency. He calms my mind. His guidance is peace. Even though I have a great many things to accomplish today, I will not worry. His presence is here. His timelessness, his all importance will keep me in balance. He prepares for me refreshment and renewal in the midst of my activity. My cup of joyous energy overflows. Surely harmony and effectiveness will be the fruit of my hours, for I will walk the pace of the Lord my God, I will dwell in his house forever. If I can pray one thing over us for obedient rest, it would be simply this. May we walk the pace of the Lord our God, knowing that we will dwell in his house forever. And blessed are the beautiful interruptions. Today I'm going to the hospital to visit member of our camping community who went out with joy to see their baby born and found the baby had died. And we will be grieving together the loss of this child. And in the midst of these moments, we can only say, blessed are the interruptions and the presence of God that is with us in our places of grieving. Because Jesus is the king who says to us, take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What we learn from this scripture is first, rest in the test, second, rest as a form of obedience, and I'd just like to close with this. God has given us a rest that remains. And I preach this gospel to myself. God has given us a rest that remains. Because it says in this passage of scripture, verse 8, if Joshua had given rest, God wouldn't have spoken of another rest still to come later on. And there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And verse 10, which is one of those life gospel verses for whoever has entered God's rest, has rested from his works as God rested from his. May I remind us, brothers and sisters, today that this is the gospel of grace. Jesus has done all of the work. All that we're called to do is enter into it. Let me say that again. Jesus has done all of the work. All that our calling is to do is listen to where our Savior is leading us. You see, I am the one who's guilty of this above all else. Jesus, here's all the things I'm doing. Here's all the balls I'm juggling. Here's all the schedules I'm managing. Jesus, aren't you proud of what I've created? And Jesus says to us today, I love 
you. There is nothing that you will do that will cause me to love you anymore. And there is nothing that you will do that will cause me to love you any less. The gospel of grace is that the work was done by Jesus Christ on the cross. And we live resurrection lives because we've met Christ. And we know that it is in our brokenness, in our weariness, in our deep need for rest that the presence of Christ is with us. Yesterday I left sight for one hour and 30 minutes. Nothing exploded. I read the passage that I'm reading in my personal devotions, which is the Gospel of Matthew chapter 14, and it just felt fitting as a closing for us today. It's from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33, and it's a picture of the way Jesus gives and invites us into rest. It says, immediately, this is after Jesus had fed 5,000. Guys, we fed 7,000 people in our kitchens this week. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, little, little round of applause for our kitchen teams. Jesus fed 5,000 without a crew, but um, that was cool. Uh, immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boats. And they went before him to the other side, and he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed all the crowds, Jesus, as we believe we ought, went up on a mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, Jesus was there alone. And the boat was by this time a long way from land. The disciples had been beaten by the waves and they felt that the wind was against them. And in the middle of the night, Jesus came to them and he was walking on the sea. And the disciples saw him and they didn't recognize him. So they were terrified and they said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear, and immediately Jesus spoke to them, and he said these words, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you in the water. And Jesus said, Come. Peter got out of the boat, and he walked on the water, and he came to Jesus. But when Peter looked at his circumstances, when he saw the wind... And the waves, he was afraid, and he began to sink. And as he sunk, he cried out and said, Lord, save me. And immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and took hold of him. And he simply said these words, why did you have little faith and doubt my kindness? And when they got in the boat, the wind seized, and those in the boat worshipped him, and they said, truly, you are the Son of God. Has anyone had a wind and a wave season this past month, year, week, day? Has anyone just had a little bit of a wind and a wave season? There's a moment in our lives where we sometimes only see the storms. And it's easy to read these words and say, Jesus is our rest, amen, but also every wave seems to crash over me. I love kids. Do we love kids here at Creation Fest? Do we believe that Jesus and the Spirit speak in the midst of real life? I believe the Spirit speaks in the midst of real life. I'm one of seven kids. We love your kids. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah. 
in the midst of the winds and the wave season, what Jesus wants to say to us is, I have done the work and invited you to enter my rest. And so I'm just going to be really simple and really clear today. There's two kinds of response I'm going to invite us to. I'm going to invite Christian and the worship team or one of the worship team to come back out. And here's the two areas I'd like to invite you to respond to. If you've heard me speaking about Jesus tonight, this morning, I know what day it is. (laughs) If you heard Tiva preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ last night, if you heard Carl Beach in tears on our stage yesterday morning, if you met Club Brothers Music and talked to Adam Moran about delivery from depression and fear, if you've spoken to a volunteer in an orange t-shirt, if there has been something in your heart that has stirred you up to say, I keep hearing about this Jesus, but I don't know him, then I would just say to you today, come meet Jesus. He is the author of our finisher of our faith. He considers us the joy who've been set before him. He wants to give you life and give you life to the full. But I think there's a lot of Christians in this room as well who need to respond to this message. And I would just simply say this. If there's something of what we've spoken of today that's made you realize, I'm trying to do the work that Jesus has already done. I'm in a wilderness place and I'm not seeing the grace and the kindness of Christ. My attention has been on my own works and not on Jesus' rest. And I would just say to you, come forward and receive prayer and leave that here. Because there is a rest that remains for the people of God. And so I'm just going to invite us all to stand. If you are able to stand, and if you would prefer to stay seated, feel free to stay seated. I'm going to invite the Connect team to come just stand here at the front. I am coming to receive prayer from the Connect team. Not to invite a false response, but because I need prayer for rest. And if you would like to receive Jesus Christ for the first time today, or if you'd like to just say, I need to experience God's rest in my life. And I invite you to come forward. He is the God and King who makes the darkness tremble. And knowing him, And surrendering our souls to him is the best decision we can ever make.